Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Pepper Podcast. Today we are talking about mindset, the training, decision making that goes into becoming a champion. Today we welcome John Reynolds, a legend in the world of Eton Fives. John learned to play fives at City of London School, winning the 1979 National Schools Championship. He went on to win 11 consecutive Kinhead Cups as well as numerous London, Midlands, Northern, and Mixed titles. He is the author of How to Play and Coach Eaton Fives, and remains one of the most passionate advocates of the game. John, it is an absolute privilege to have you on the Pepper Podcast with us today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, very exciting. We'd like to just start off with a little bit of the history about you. So how did you start playing fives, and how did you end up getting so good? Well... Uh, I started at uh, City London School just by um, watching the game being played by the older boys, you know. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, who has at the age of 10? Uh, And in those days, this was the 70s. And that seems like prehistory. It was long before either of you were born. That was the age of long hair and flares. So these outlandish creatures were playing a game I'd never seen in a court that just seemed so bizarre. And I couldn't keep my eyes off it, you know? So I was the little kid at the back of the court watching enthralled as these sixth formers uh, bashed a ball around in the most astonishing fashion. And was that because of the game or because of their hair and their flares? Well, I think the whole, the whole, they, they certainly added to the spectacle, you know, these extraordinary glamorous creatures. Maybe we should bring it back as a form of new fives kits, you know, long haired wigs and flared track uh, suit bottoms. Well, indeed, indeed. I mean, it really was so peculiar, the garb in those days. But nonetheless, they were, they, they had such fun, you know. I was hooked. I mean, there was hooping and hollering and running around and, uh, I couldn't understand how the ball stayed in play. As for how I got any good, it's just a matter of practice. I mean, I loved it, so I played it all the time. And that really is the, the long and the short of it. I was lucky enough that there were other boys at the school who were prepared to spend, you know, the evening hours playing endless games of five. So if there was just two of us, we'd play up court. Uh, if we were lucky enough to have four, then obviously you've got a full game. But um, we'd play up to 101, you know, uh, up up court. And you can't really help but get good if you just do it all, you know, do 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 something that much. That's my experience anyway. It's, it just sounds like you're an enthusiast from the start. And I was just wondering, um, you say that you obviously had, you obviously had people to play with um, that were there to play up to 101 on top step. Were were you unique in your interest or did you find that you had people that were willing to put in the same amount of time as you pretty consistently? I mean, there was a bunch of us, you know. I mean, there were half a dozen of us, maybe eight of us that would would carry on, you know, play until six o'clock or whatever it was but until we got thrown out of the school. Yeah, Richard Matthews <clears throat> was there. He was always game for, a, you know, a, an extended session. Philip Thomas, my first partner. That I won anything with. Yeah, there was there was there was as I say a sort of core of us that would play. Mark Stockton, he still plays, but uh, yeah, I mean it becomes sort of addictive, really. And of course, in those days, the old sits were uh, a, a sort of force to be reckoned with. There were thousands of those. Well, I say thousands. There's probably a dozen or two, but they they played a, a fixture list list that was 70, 80, 90 fixtures a season. Whoa, my body would be broken after that. Well, I don't think we played, you know, we didn't play them all, but, you know, I never, I never lacked for any, any, any matches, you know. Uh, uh, People, the old sits look back and uh, like David White, our chairman, he he recently was musing, where on earth did we find the time? Um, I mean, as far as I was concerned, I was just a schoolboy, I'd got all the time in the world, but uh, these guys have got, you know, successful careers, so I really have no idea where they found the time. And so how much of a percentage between match play and sort of specified looking and doing specific drills was the balance of what you did in spending all of these hours on court? Uh, There were no drills. There really weren't. Um, I mean, uh, Howard 
uh, Wiseman has has devised a you know a, a shop book and a drill book, and th that's an invaluable way to hone your skills. But we didn't really approach it intelligently. We just played forever, you know. Matthew Syed in, in his book Bounce uh, subtitles. Uh, the myth of talents and the power of practice describes how people get good and that is just by you know doing it over and over and over but he stresses the uh the importance of purposeful practice and i think in my case it was just aimless um sort of mindless happy bashing a ball around um i think one could probably get quicker you know better quicker if one were purposeful but um, all, I, all I wanted to do was bash a ball around and lark around, you know. So instead of 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, you maybe done 20,000 hours of aimless practice and still ended up at the top of the game. So maybe an accidental master um, rather than something so deliberate. Accidental is probably about right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, fooling around was the, was the, was the whole point of it. And I suppose, you know, the skills were, were a sort of um, accidental byproduct. It shows I, I, how passion can make a, a massive difference and just enjoying something can just elevate well, how you learn and how fast you train and, and how fast you pick up skills. Enjoyment is absolutely at the core of it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, by nature, particularly assiduous. I mean, I, I'm, you know, reasonably uh, obsessive about certain things. I'll, I, I'll concede, but um, uh, the fact that it was fun meant that I could just do it forever. It's, 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 it's the only sport I came across, and I played a lot of sport at school, you know, uh, rugby and, and volleyball and what have you. Um, I did, did a lot of swimming as well, you know, all those laps early in the morning. But there were, aren't, aren't, there aren't many laughs in the swimming pool, uh, not in my experience. No, no, not at all. Um, having traumatic flashbacks to my own experience as you're saying laps and laps <laughs> yeah exactly uh, Hungarian reps I seem to remember were what we indulged in which just involved doing them over and over but um, yeah not many laughs so fives had it over on all those those games and all those sports because uh, because it was hilarious really um, I mean just you know you'd, you'd, you'd just you'd giggle your way through hours of fives yeah not like Rugby, uh, not much giggling on a rugby pitch. Anyway, there we are. Um, so yeah, fun, that's the key, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've spent many hours giggling on five court. Yeah, quite right. At me. <laughs> um, I just wanted to add that, you know, fun and um, improving while having fun is almost just, in my experience, it makes the fun almost exponential because you can you can prolong a rally, you know, you can um, return the cut more effectively. You can, um, as you become more proficient at a game, you can enjoy it for longer without having to go and retrieve a ball as often without having as many breaks in play. So I have no doubt that if you are enjoying yourself um, and your goal is to enjoy yourself even more, then it makes sense to get better so that you can enjoy yourself even more, get even fitter. Yeah, your body more so you can enjoy yourself for even longer. I, well, one of the things I enjoy about fives is is that sense of, uh, or, you know, when a rally carries on for a dozen or 15 or 20 or what have you shots. And after a while, you, 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 you realize that you've, as a four, you've, you've managed to keep the ball in play in a, in a very implausible way. I mean, you've got this court that's designed to surprise you've got accidental ledges and edges you've got four people on court bashing the ball around really very hard and yet you've managed to keep the ball uh, in play for you know a minute two minutes i mean after a while it, the, the 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 implausibility is i mean i find it a fascinating to be honest i mean sometimes i can't stop from from giggling on a fives court during a rally you know very serious i mean obviously this doesn't happen in a in a proper uh, sort of uh, match, but um, it is an, an extraordinary thing. It's a, it's a collaboration, as a as a as a as a as a, as a, a shared enterprise. The four of you have kept the ball in play despite everything, 
Uh, and that, yes, I mean, you know, the better you get, the better you can keep the ball in play, and the and and the and the and the greater that sense of wonder uh, becomes. But it's, I, I'm, I'm very, yeah. And there's a sense of achievement that you've all spent long enough on a court to be able to do this arcane thing sufficiently well to keep the ball playing for you know minutes at a time. That's an achievement, you know, a joint achievement. I mean, looked at on the face of it, it's an extraordinary skill to have developed um, this bizarre court. Uh, to to have become sufficiently you know intimate with it that you can know where the ball is going, be in the right place, keep the ball you know, and you've developed all the shots to 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 keep the ball in play, um, regardless of where it ends up, and that's all four of you, yeah, extraordinary, love it. So that's a good segue into what, how do you choose your shot when you're in the midst of one of these immense rallies. What is your thought process in sort of choosing the shot that you you want to play? Do you have any things that you do to try and help calm yourself down if it is a really exhilarating rally? And how do you choose whether you're going for a winning shot or trying to set up a little bit more for the set piece? Um, well, those are all very good questions. Um, let's see, try and unpack them. How do I choose a shot? I mean, the thing about fives, it seems to me, is that it's almost impossible to replicate the um, circumstances of a shot uh, perfectly. So even though you've sort of drilled backspun shot from the middle of the back of the court into the buttress, you know, even if you've hit it a hundred times, you're probably never going to get, you know, that exact shot in the middle of a, a rally. Um, you might get close to it, I suppose, but you're probably going to be approaching it from a different you know, area or, or, or what have you. So there's a great deal of it, almost improvisation. Uh, I suppose you can minimize it by, by practicing shots. But how, do, how does one choose a shot? Quite a loaded question, I realize. <laughs> well, the thing, I mean, you know, one, one has shots one can play, and I mean favorites, one has uh, shots that one knows are, you know, you, that you know are effective, but the shot you have to play is is dictated, I suspect, by where the opposition is as much as you know where the ball is. So that's your aim to beat the player. I mean, if you've got a, a good shot that, that that will hit the bottom of the buttress um, and die, uh, if there's somebody in position to volley it, then it's not such a good shot. Uh, you know, like uh, on the other hand, if you've got someone in the buttress. You know, an otherwise um, innocuous shot to their to the left, but fairly high, might be difficult for them. Uh, so you're 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 aiming to you're choosing a shot that that will be difficult for the player to to return. I suppose. I mean, I I'm quite a um, uh, again my my sense of discipline, I suppose, has been growing as as I grow older. But certainly, classically, I I lack discipline and tend to go for my shots. You know. So the risk factor would be quite high when I was young. And my partner, Brian Matthews, was always urging me to stick to the game plan. So, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, how does one choose one shots? When, if one has a game plan, I mean, that helps, you know. I mean, Brian insisted that playing the ball early, a volleying game, was, was, was effective. Uh, and his, his theory was that if you played the ball early enough, then the opposition was deprived of time and that was never going to be compensated for if you let the ball bounce and played your favourite shot because the opposition had got into position by then. Much easier to beat them if they're not in position, if you deprive them of time. So his notion was to, to press up from the back of the court as much as possible, don't let anything bounce um, and deprive the opposition of, 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 of time. So Brian didn't really care if the ball didn't go to the bottom of the buttress. As far as he was concerned, playing the ball early was everything. Um, so the choice of shot was dictated by that strategy. Um, so he would get very cross with me. He was rather older, so I suppose that was his, that was his prerogative. Uh, if I let the ball bounce and, you know, so I could play one of my, my favourite ground strokes, um, regardless of how good they were, uh, they weren't what how you know he wanted the, the rally to, to have panned out so he'd tell me off oh, volley volley you'd look he would he would always get terribly fierce brian immensely uh, effective player very fierce even to me though his partner <laughs> that's um <clears throat> i think that that sounds all sounds you know re really interesting about playing the 
playing the player, not just playing your game plan. Um, so I guess finding that balance between playing to, to a plan until maybe you've figured out a, a player. So if it's your first time playing someone, maybe then you would, um, you would play your game plan until you know how to play that player and then you would be able to play them. Uh, would, you, would you say that you have been quite quick to figure other people out um, when you're on court? Again, it's a very good question. I mean, it's the extent to which one adapts uh, in the face of particular challenges that, that, that people bring. I'm not, I'm not, I've got no idea how quickly I, 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 I adapt. I do tend to think that the longer I'm on court with someone, the better chance I have of, of, of beating them. So I suppose that speaks of a certain habit I've got into of, of, of adapting my game. And, and what about the other way around? Do you, do you, have you ever encountered someone that you think, if I spend more time on the court with this person, they might beat me? <laughs> well, uh, as I've got older, that's, that's increasingly the case. Uh, I mean, the likes of, of, um, of James Toop or, or Johnny Ho, they've got shots that uh, I suspect they realise I'm not very comfortable playing. Yeah, I mean, in the olden days, less so. Yes, I mean, I, yeah, I've, I've, one loses shots. I can remember I'd be feeling terribly confident with, a, with that backspun midcourt shot. And I would, you know, I would, I would, I would be able to hit it so fiercely, and uh, until I was about mid late twenties or so, that you know, that was essentially a point. I thought, you know, give give me the ball in the middle of the court, roughly, and that would that would extend, you know, up and up and uh, uh, up court, back court, and I would I would play a very fierce shot off it. But suddenly it deserted me. The shot when I was about 27, 28. Um, one summer it went missing. I never really, <laughs> never really got it back. I think you made a good point there that, you know, when you were playing very competitively and you had all those shots in your arsenal, that no, you weren't particularly worried about someone figuring you out on court. And I think to me that that speaks volumes about some advice that you've given in your book is just how important confidence is and how being mentally focused and mentally prepared for a competition is so important because as you if you're not confident going in, you can lose the game before you've started. And uh, I guess on the back of that, I wanted to ask, you know, if you're going to give someone advice going into a tough game, and, you know, for example, if someone's going to play against you in your, in your prime, what advice would you give them to, to deal with you? Well, I'm not sure I, I would give them any particular uh, advice against, you know, that would be specific to me. But one thing I've learned is that a game of fives, the breaks, you know, the, the turns of, of, of luck will even out and one will get chances, you know, if you hang on, if you, if, even if you are apparently um, uncompetitive on, on court, if you have the courage, and it comes down to a sort of courage, you know, um, if you have the courage to, to, make, to keep calm and stick in there, not to assume that because the balance of the game seems to be against you, you're going to lose in the end. You will get chances to, you know, to, to win points, to win sets. And many's the time, many's the time I've thought I was outgunned, but there are some aspects of your game. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, you don't make mistakes or maybe it's because you're good at cutting or maybe it's because you return the cut well, or maybe you've got a couple of shots that they can't get back, but something you can capitalise on to get you back into the game, something that actually is quite competitive. The pendulum, yeah, just swings back, um, sometimes without any reason. If you've kept on, if you've kept the opposition on court for long enough, you will get your chances, you know, as long as you're reasonably, reasonably in touch. It's in my experience, it's often the case that it's just being bloody minded, not saying, you know, not, 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 conceding defeat uh is well, you've first. actually lost <laughs> once 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 you've shaken hands yeah you did. <laughs> worthwhile conceding defeat at that point yeah we've all been in that game where we've either been on one end or the other of being you know foot three up or foot three down and you know either the opposition coming back and suddenly it's foot all because you've 
got slightly complacent because you've got that gap or vice versa that suddenly you can crank it up a gear and bring yourself back I've definitely been in a few of few of those and it is it's a very hard thing to do but staying in the game even if the scoreline says you're not well uh, you make a good point though uh, Emily fives uh, does favor the underdog it's it's structured uh, to 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 even the game out uh, so so you know when 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 the winning or the the the, the leading uh, pair you know gets to to to, to eleven, uh, their their task to convert that to convert the final point gets suddenly much harder. It's um, a facet of the game that is surely unique. Uh, yeah, I never really, thought of it like that. That's really interesting, and it, it makes me think. So my first ever fives match, Mr. Brunner had seen me play, and I'd been playing on the Wednesday, and I was in a match by the Sunday. And we played Cambridge University and we were ahead and we got foot, but I'd never played foot before. <laughs> and it completely blew my mind, even um, even more than the rest of fives. And we lost the game because we couldn't we couldn't get the ball up on foot or with the foot cut. And uh, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Well, quite. Uh, I mean, even if you think about it, the, even the fact that you have to change cutter once the cut, the, the, the cut has lost two points um, is, 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 is a gesture in that direction. The game is structured so that, uh, you know, one weaker partner can't lose the game for you uh, at, a, at, a, at a stroke. Um, so the, the game itself is, is, is structured so that, um, you know, to tend towards giving pair that might have certain weaknesses you know second chances or you know it's structured to keep them in the game one of the game's strengths so bear with me for this one because i've read it in a book but have you ever said a word to yourself mid shot like so before you hit the ball i've heard and zach you might be able to help me here that psychologically some athletes say a word and i think in the the example that i'd read before it was bounce and it helped them to clear their mind and kind of reset before hitting the ball. Have you ever done anything like that in your in your match play, or is that completely alien to you? Um, not during the course of a rally. Uh, I, I, I find it helpful to, to breathe calmly before I hit the foot cut, um, to slow everything down um, before I play that particular set piece. I mean, that's a, it's like a dart throw. The, the, the more precise, the more controlled you are, I think probably the better. But during the course of a rally, I mean, I think I'm just sort of scrambling around. And there's no time to, to, to speak to myself, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think it is very interesting. And, and in, in sports psychology and psychology in general, we look at staying present as such an important part of, of sport. So not getting caught up in what's come before and what's come after. So if you've got a, if you don't have a natural, um, if you don't have a natural pause, so if it's not a reset point or anything, you can still find natural pauses or natural times to, to just pull back into to that moment. So for example, saying bounce or saying something as you, in your head, which becomes an automatic thing. This isn't deliberate. This is something developed over time that you would then, you know, think of as, as you hit the ball, it will keep you in that moment and stop you from thinking, how long is this rally going to last? Or I need to win this point and it can keep you in it. Uh, so that's, that's normally the use of that kind of thing. It's almost like a, uh, a forced stopping uh, pause to bring you back into your yourself. In the middle of a rally? When, whenever you'd hit the ball. So it's, it's really? a, I mean, it's not a pause as in the game. It's a... Um, it's just a cue to keep you focused where normally you would need time to take a deep breath and reset that having an internal cue like bounce or whatever you might say is more on the fly, keeping you internally or keeping you focused in the moment, keeping present. It doesn't sound familiar. I have to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how I would do that. Um, so I certainly don't have any habit during the rally, I mean, I've learned over time. I mean, you speak, you, you spoke at the beginning there, Zach, of, of staying in the moment. And I think I wasted a lot of, I, I mean, of staying focused essentially. But I, I, as, a, as a younger player, I wasted a lot of energy and dissipated concentration by uh, being cross with myself. 
Uh, and it's it's a, it's an indulgence that I that I took uh, uh, many years to 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 wean myself off. But it's such a waste of time uh, and energy, and it, it gives your you know opponents encouragement, and it confuses your partner, and you know, everything's wrong about it. So, you know, as soon as the shot's over, it's it's uh, it's the only, the only intelligent thing to do is to is to is to focus on on what's going on. Certainly, that's something I've I've, I've improved on over the years, the ability to keep my application level high. I mean, if anybody, people speak about the killer instinct and in my experience, that's what it means, staying, um, you know, sticking to your job, not allowing uh, your your focus to, to wander, your concentration to wander when you appear to be in a, in a position of advantage. So who would get more angry, you or Brian? Oh, certainly me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, even though he spent quite a lot of time uh, telling me to, you know, shut up and get on with it. Uh, that was essentially the, the plan, really. If there was any talking to be done, he, 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 it was much better that he did it because I would just lose my rag. He was much more disciplined. Yes, I mean, it, it is something that has changed, I think, over the years, uh, that the atmosphere on court around the country, I think, has improved there were certainly eras that were where the spirit of the game, I think, was 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 rather poorly observed, and the, I think the seventies was one of those eras. John, you've mentioned obviously what you're saying a little bit about how people were acting on court. You've also mentioned a little bit in passing the fashion sense of when you first started playing, and you mentioned the flares and the uh, long hair. But what other things do you think has changed in the game of Eton Fives over the course of your your career? And the other thing I might note is that in your book, the short shorts, (laughs) the shorts are very short. So I think that's another thing that's changed. But in your opinion, what else has has changed? Short shorts, yes. I suppose much like the uh, the fashion on the on 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 the uh, soccer pitch. the uh, the length of uh, trouser leg has 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 has, uh, has gone up and down. Women on court, you know, that's that's one of the the major changes. The atmosphere has the the environment has changed enormously in that respect. I mean, when I started playing, there were no women playing. So um, I mean, that's uh, an enormous leap forward. It's uh, the game is you know looks much more human uh, now. I mean that that's a tremendous thing, I mean, and I think uh, Richard Black deserves a lot of credit uh, for encouraging the women's side of things. On court, I think I think at the top at the top of the game, people are fitter. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, I think young people are fitter. Uh, there's much less drinking. There's there's, there's almost no smoking uh, when you know people used to drink and smoke after a game you know, routinely uh, in the olden days. And that doesn't really happen at all now. So that's splendid. Um, so people are fitter. The rallies do last longer as a result, I'm pretty sure. The other, the other thing on court that I think has transformed the game is the way people would turn cut. And over about 20 years ago, there was a sort of gradual realisation that uh, one should address the ball sideways. Uh, so those at the top of the game are much more sideways on. I used to address the ball pretty square, which meant that if I wasn't careful, the ball, my hand was coming across the line of the ball, um, which seemed to work uh, reasonably well. Um, definitely not as well as it should have done, but um, you know, maybe one can get away with these things more when one's younger. But Howard... Wiseman, those at the top of the game uh, realised that by going sideways, you improve your chances of playing the ball down the line. And as soon as you're sideways, you can scoot out of the way of the ball without uh, having to do it whilst you're, or or just after you're thrown. You you can do it much later. You can get out of the way much later. You can scoot, you can skip to the front front wall, get out of the way of the ball altogether. And that transforms a, 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 a cut that's on a good line and good length into a shot that if you're not careful as a cutter will just pop up. I mean, I can remember watching James Toop skipping out of the way of my cuts to his left toe 
um, that had he stayed there would have, you know, given him all kinds of problems. But as soon as it's out of the way, the ball just hits where he used to be, uh, hits the, the buttress and pops up. So he would just stand at the front of the court and, 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 and just fend the ball onto the, onto the front wall. And suddenly all of the top players were doing this. I say suddenly, I mean, it happens gradually over, I don't know, 2000, 2010, suddenly this became an option for the people at the top of the game. And it does. It just it transforms the, the balance of power between the cutter and the and the server. Um, when in, in the eighties and nineties, I think the cut, the cutter ha- held all the aces, but suddenly the the server has now got a variation that will make problems for the cutter, and that changes everything. So many more cuts are being returned now. I mean, it, one sees this sort of change of emphasis in other games like cricket. You know, the balance between bat and ball or tennis. Um, you know the days of the the big servers like Sampras and so on. That, that those those are over, and and for the better. You know, I mean, the, one one has more rallies now. Yeah, I think um, just sort of pointing out that the people are maybe generally fitter now is is one one aspect where the game can can improve because rallies can go on for longer. But also the the tactical change and the the strategies involved that um, that people start figuring out better ways to do things or easier ways to um to return a cut you know and i wonder how that's changed now how how being being taught to return a cut now might be different compared to you know how you were taught there wasn't much teaching uh, to be honest when i was um a kid i mean there weren't any professional coaches this is actually another thing uh, that has changed enormously howard wiseman's coaching agency that is uh, a, a real sea, sea change. It made, made all the difference in the world. All the schools up and down the country that didn't have a master in charge, who knew anything about the uh, about the game, the, the the game might slide into oblivion. But because you've got no one on the staff that can look after the game, but with Howard's uh, coaching agency, you can just hire somebody to look after the game in the school. So you no longer have to trust a luck that there's going to be somebody on the on the staff. Uh, I mean, that's an enormous, enormous advance. But City of London didn't have any, 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 any coach. To be honest, it was, it was um, one of its advantages. It meant that you were left entirely to your own devices. There was no one to interfere with your fun. Um, In some ways, you learned your own style and, you know, you weren't constrained to any preconceptions that someone who's had a certain experience may, may have and maybe helped to help you develop your your actual own game which obviously proved to be very successful well uh, you're very kind um i mean you're right there is there is a danger with coaching that a certain orthodoxy sets in um and it the it seemed to me one of the advantages or one of the attractions of fives that there was no orthodoxy uh, to speak of you know uh, there wasn't a way of doing things one one learned from watching visitors to the courts at blackfriars that there were other ways of, of 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 approaching everything, you know, and that was one of the advantages. It's one of the one of the um, unintended consequences of writing a book, and something that I've tried very hard in its preface and so on to to stress that I really didn't mean to be, to set down an orthodoxy uh, merely to sort of help people, yeah, define or, or or discover their own style through through through. You know, trial and error with 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 the book as, as something of a as a source of ideas. I mean, you know, fives being a, a a minor sport is is it is going to be quirky. I mean, it is one of its. It, there there isn't going to be a sort of. Uh, it doesn't have the 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 professionalism that's going to make certain approaches the 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 force of of. You know, being the only way that people can, you know, re- realistically do something. Yeah, I, I think, you know, reading, reading through your book, I think it's, it gives people a fantastic starting point to start being creative with their own game. It's not prescriptive in an exhaustive sense. It's, okay, here's, here's what you can start with to be able to enjoy the game. And then it'll, I think it inspires uh, allows inspiration and for people to just just run with it from there. Just Good. Well, I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. I must admit. I mean, you talk about being prescriptive, and uh, to a degree, to be to be to for for a, a book, you know, an instruction book of that nature, 
to be clear, I mean, I use instruction. Uh, I don't know quite what, what kind of a book it is. I mean, it's a coaching book, it's a, a how-to book, but to be, to be to, one, one has to be reasonably prescriptive to be clear. Um, to be, you know, the instruction needs to be reasonably simple. Um, but yes, it's not. It's 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 not in the spirit of the game somehow to for for, for a coaching manual to be prescriptive. That it's simply not in the in the nature of the game. You know, there's no referee to tell you what to do. Everything's by discussion, by consensus, um, by experience. So yes, it, it runs against the grain to be too pres pre prescriptive. Yeah, no, no, I I absolutely agree with you there, um, John. I, I, over over the last few months that I've been working with the EFA, we've we've spoken at length about character character development. Um, I know that we've touched on it briefly, but in terms of the the spirit of the game and how character is developed through playing, how has Ethan Fives developed your character? I like to think that it's made me a more uh, thoughtful civilized sort of a chap i think it's it's structure as a pairs game and without a referee and the obligation of your partner to 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 call a shot as he sees it uh, means that our natural inclination to see what we want to see and visualization is after all a, a key part of any sportsman's uh, process. You have to see what you want to do uh, in your mind's eye to be able to do it pretty much. So you are seeing a successful version of what you're doing and you rely on your partner to say, actually, John, no, that was down, mate, or no, that went out as, as a corrective to, to, to balance what you naturally try and, and, and see. The effect of this is that your certainties, so, you know, the arrogance of youth that you know best, that what you've seen is what happened uh, is eroded, uh, and and this is is surely a, 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 a you know, has a positive effect on you. I'm I'm you know much more much less certain of myself than I was as a as a as a kid. I mean, you think you you see with such clarity, but you <laughs> you spend any time at all on a fives court, and 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 you realise that. Uh, you get things wrong uh, and it really is worthwhile, you know, asking everyone on court, what do you think? What did you see? Um, and quite often, you know, you'll be in a minority and you realise that despite your confidence, you, you know, it's, 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 it, it takes a certain kind of arrogance to insist on your vision over that of three other people. But again, you know, all of these are, are, are interesting and, and sometimes difficult uh, processes for a partner to call it as he saw it is actually quite difficult. It's a constant difficulty. It's not something that you get over as you, you know, pass the age of 30 or something. You know, the will to, the desire to win doesn't fade. And I'm not talking about lying. I'm, I'm just talking about the, the way that memory has of, of showing you a version of events that, is, that suits you. Unless you call something immediately and go with that instinct, you're in all sorts of trouble because you will, the, 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 the self-protective and self-helping instincts all kick in. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the bits of your brain that uh, shouldn't get involved do and, and interfere with what you've seen. Um, it's a curious process, but the brain is a very powerful thing. We were talking about in a previous episode, which is how you speak to yourself in order to you know, make sure that in, in, in the case that we were discussing was obviously how you make sure you phrase things in a positive way to ensure that you're doing it because you're visualizing the positive outcome. And it's interesting that you, you said that actually that could have, you know, an effect on your memory and on your thought process of what happened afterwards. And so having your partner and the, you know, three, two other people on court to be the referees as a quartet is actually a big, really big part of the game. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if people call things honestly and and express their doubts honestly, then then, then the games function. Um, but you know, there's a certain amount of awareness that one has to get, that one has to learn. Yeah, it's definitely a skill that that can that can be developed. For me, coming from a rugby background, so if you have 
players on opposite sides or or actually rather let's use fans on opposite sides if you're, you're watching a rugby game and something happens the referee's not blowing the whistle yet but you'll have two very different opinions on what's just happened before that whistle goes and people will argue tooth and nail about what they've just seen and be shouting for a penalty shouting for this and i would i, would, I mean i'd love to to get snapshots of of situations like that pause the game and say okay tell me what you think happened and then we wait for the referee then you you kind of lay it out wait for the referee uh, unpause let the referee call it but you'll find that neither of those people would have been lying they would have believed what they'd seen they would have had this bias of perspective because that is genuinely what they thought had happened and then the referee is is forced to call it because uh, you know, it's his job or her job to be objective in that situation because the players aren't trusted or have never been trusted to uh, to make those decisions for them because they might have that perspective bias that, that kind of comes in. So, you know, you really believed that what you did actually, that you hit the ball up, you believed it, you visualized it, you saw it happening, so you believed it. And then you have to trust other people to to bring you bring you back in and uh, well, i think the sport teaches a fantastic um you know it's almost like empathy in that way well there are gaps in one's vision i mean regardless of the, the point of view or the, the the perspective there are gaps you know you when you blink the 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 the, the, the image isn't constant you turn your head as you're hitting the ball your body twists your your vision is imperfect but your brain fills in the gaps and it fills in the gaps to suit you and you're right i mean uh, i mean having a referee isn't isn't necessarily a sort of abdication of responsibility if you've got 30 rugby players on a pitch you can't uh, you know get everybody's opinion before you 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 decide whether or not you've got to try so the referee's there to sort of aggregate uh, uh, opinion or points of view, and is 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 a is a, is a uh, you know a convenient way of of, of running a a, a, a match. Um, but on a fives court, where everybody's actually right there, everybody's got a pretty good view of everything. You've only got four people; it's quick enough to to ask everybody. But there, there are very few areas of of life where one is asked to take everything into account. You know, I mean, an effective lawyer is one who who, who represents their clients single eye. You know, through through a single window, through a single point of view. Parliament, you know, it's 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 all. You you put your 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 point of view with, without any regard to 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 the opposition uh, stance. And in and obviously in sport, you you you're never asked, are you, to 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 to, to look out for the opposition? But in fives, you are, and I think that's just immensely immensely um heartwarming really i mean when it comes down to it when you're playing fives and this is something i know i've mentioned to you zach before uh, or playing sport it, it its purpose is often mistaken i think it's not really a, a a contest or um a combat to see who triumphs it's a formalized way of socializing uh that's that, that in which uh, you're setting each other challenges and uh, the enjoyment is in overcoming those. We're, we're, we're animals, human animals that like other people's company. So the collaborative and, and consensual nature of Vives is, 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 is a rare example of, 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 of a game that, that incorporates these, these elements of, of social uh, interaction uh, process. Um, oh, doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside <laughs> this game? Speaking of, uh, you know, heartwarming experiences, maybe it wasn't heartwarming, but do you have a sort of favourite memory or your like most treasured memory of your time on court? I, I looked at this question before uh, we came on air and I must admit I've got no, nothing springs to mind, nothing at all. I mean... <laughs> It, it comes down, uh, to be honest, the, 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 the happiest moments on court are when we've had a, a lengthy rally and win or lose, it's, it's just been a triumph of collaboration. The ball has been kept in play for, say, 20 shots or so. It's, and and the, the sense of, of, of having constructed something 
extraordinary and difficult and lucky and hilarious is 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 what I really most enjoy about the game, and that's what I miss. It's it's those moments of of, of collaboration, all four players. Well, you know, where win or lose, both sides celebrate the rally at the end, you know. Win or lose. Um, talking about winning or losing, just to kind of move away from that uh, heartfelt social side of the game. Um, talking about competitive fives, John. Matthews and Reynolds at your peak versus Cooley and Dunbar at theirs. What do we think? <laughs> um, well, I suspect I would have struggled for fitness. I uh, It was never one of my strengths, so... I can't help thinking that the length of the rallies that that uh, one watches these days would have would have would have exhausted me, and it's difficult to look beyond that. To be honest, we were very good at cutting. Um, they're very good at returning cut. There's a there's a suspicion I think in my mind that I went for my shots because I knew I couldn't really endure a you know a long thirty shot rally. Uh, so I had to find some way of you know ending it. And I think that was a common a common attitude. To be honest, we went for our shots more. We made more mistakes. Brian was was extremely fit. I mean, he's gone on to run you know marathons and that. So maybe he would have uh, I don't know encouraged me to to get fit or something. But yeah, different eras. I mean, I I would have struggled with fitness, but that's but that's for sure. So building on that, if you were gonna take on the Kinnaird again, um, say you're you know. Who first of all, two parts of this question. The first one is if Seb and Tom are still a pair, who would you want to play with to try and take them on? Well, I, I've never come across a, a, as an effective uh, player as Brian, so I, I would, uh, if I could have Brian again, I suppose that would be my choice. Good answer. I mean, we, we, we did generate a great deal of pace and urgency, you know, uh, playing the ball early, and we did go for our shots in our separate ways. Brian wasn't such a fan of the of, of of the length ball into the shot. He had a tremendous sort of slam dunk shot that would sometimes, you know, hit the ground and hit the roof. Not much chance of getting that back. So, yes, I mean, I enjoyed the pace we generated. Okay, and so the second part is if uh, Seb and Tom are now part of the equation and you could pick anyone and you there's no top pair... It's just who's going to get to the top? Who would you partner with? Still Brian, or would you pick one of Seb or Tom? Oh, I've got. I mean, Brian and I had a sort of understanding. We were very different, but you know, we work well as a pair. I've got no idea how Seb or Tom um, operates. I, yeah, I mean, I, I I had a lot of fun with Brian. I mean, I have. I've, I've you know, let me think. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Doug Wainwright was a lovely player. Uh, Martin Smith, we used to have a lot of fun. Another Chumlian. Um, in fact, both of those are Chumlians, aren't they? Woohoo! <laughs> Team Chumlians. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a difficult question, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's all hypothetical. And it's, it's really nice to see that, you know, the partnership that you built with Brian Matthews is still kind of inherently there and that he was who you would still pick because you have built that bond. And because you've got those kind of connections and that gameplay together. It's actually quite a nice, I actually really liked your answer of what you chose is that you went back to Brian. Yeah, we, we, we learned, we grew up together in many ways, you know. We, we had a tremendous, because we are from the same club, you know, and that club was the old sits and the old sits lost their courts. There was a tremendous sense that we were the last of a breed, that the old sits were soon going to be extinct. And that gave the partnership a certain significance, I suppose. So, you know, we were growing up as people and learning how to play a, a different kind of fives than, than, than had been played before. I mean, that insistence on the early early volleys was, was new, I think, um, or maybe reinvented. But, you know, for a lot of reasons, it was a partnership that, that felt like a, a true combination yeah, it, it sounds like it. And and you know what, I, I guarantee that a lot of people that will be listening to this will, that'll resonate really well with them. I can, you know, from, from my experience chatting to a few people about their, who they choose to partner with now, they, they do have a deep connection. And it's not just about athletic ability and picking someone that's going to complement your physical skill. It's, it's about who you are as a person. Before we wrap this all up, 
we want to ask you, what are your three top tips to all of those players out there who are wanting to improve their game? I think find, find a, a group of players that you, can, you enjoy playing with and play a lot with them. Uh, is that two? Can be one or two, depending on you know, <laughs> <laughs> how many or more you can think of. I, I think that's two. Um, but, but playing a lot in company you like, I think, is important. But uh, I think the Fives world is blessed with a lot of people who like the game and, and it's a joy to be on court with. So it shouldn't be too difficult. Um, I, um, yeah, I just hope that the, the, the game can, can thrive post-pandemic. Uh, it seems to me that the, 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 the uh, virus has exposed a tremendous weakness and that is our reliance on courts in schools. So I think for the game to survive in, a new, in the new world of post-pandemic, um, the new post-pandemic world, we need more courts in different kinds of places. So we're not so reliant on, on the goodwill of schools, club, uh, you know, clubs like, I don't know, tennis clubs or cricket clubs or golf clubs or what have you, uh, fitness clubs, just a court here or there so that we can all play more locally and um, on, a, on a more you know, reliable basis. I know one tip that you always give me whenever you've been coaching me on court, which is to rotate your cut return, <laughs> which is something I, because I get into a habit of staying and doing one cut return. So I know that's a top tip that you've given me. So I'll help you out here for your third. Forgive me. That is a good one, uh, Emily. Absolutely. Um, and I'm glad that you've you've remembered uh, it because it is a yeah, good one. Yeah, remember what you say. <laughs> the return, the return of the cut is that is absolutely key, and I think the rotation of of the of the return of cut is key to returning it. Great, thank you so much for your insight and you know, telling us about how the fashion sense of fives has changed over the course of the years. Um, that was really insightful, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Entirely my pleasure. Thank you so much for organising it. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Um, you know, we've had a broad range from shot selection to character development to top tips to a bit of reminiscing, and it's been, it's been fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. So that's all for this week, but be sure to catch next week's episode where we'll be discussing whether great sports players are born or bred and how much nature or nurture has to do with it. And to help us discuss the matter, we'll be speaking to two members of a great sportings family, Seb and Charlotte Cooley. See you next week.